What up, everybody? It's Cuff of the Vision Lab Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. If you're looking for the best insurance and customer service, make sure you pick up the phone and dial 972-645-1844. Whether it's home, life, or business insurance, Robert and his staff are the best at protecting you and your family. Once again, that's Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. Agency. The phone number, 972-645-1844. And the website is farmersagent.com forward slash R Garcia. And don't forget to mention the Vision Lab podcast. Welcome back to another great episode of the Vision Lab podcast in partnership with Nexon Creative. I'm your host, Ryan Cuffey, alongside my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. The Vision Lab is the official growth mindset podcast for all visionaries worldwide, showing mad love to the cigar community. It's here in the lab where we uncover people's visions and dreams and how those dreams come into reality. Folks, it's all about tapping into and becoming the best versions of ourselves through self-discovery, self-examination, and self-actualization. Yo, Mo, I'm super excited, man. We, we have made it. Um, we're in a, in a little chilly bit of a room, but it's got full, it's full of barrels. And uh, who we got on the show today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Fort Worth, Texas. He is a graduate of the University of Texas in Austin. He is an attorney, a certified sommelier. Um, the place where we are at, he is the owner, CEO, all of the above, was voted recently by D Magazine as the number one distillery to visit here in DFW. Uh, please welcome Marcus Kiprios to the Vision Lab podcast. Hello, sir. Good morning. Thank you. I'm I'm so impressed by the intro without teleprompters or anything from both of you. Very smooth. Very it's the truth, nice. Man. We just, yeah. We speak the truth. On this show. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about this. This is our first ever episode. Really? No. <laughs> For 2021, maybe. <laughs> no, we've been rocking and rolling, man. But I, I'm I'm very first of all, I'm very uh, grateful that you allowed us into uh, this beautiful establishment. We. Uh, you know, I talked to Mo about this. I don't even know how many months ago. A good two, three months, and he was like, "We got to get out." We got to get out here. I think it's just amazing. So, all visionaries, if you're tuning in on YouTube or you listen to us on in any of the major podcast platforms, please, please, please do yourself a favor. If you are in Fort Worth, come holler at Marcus at Blackland. Um, before we get rocking and rolling, why don't we show some special love to those that show us love? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, we have to say thank you to uh, a former long, a, a Longhorn just like yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, that's Miss Edwina Brown and the entire family at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge in Duncanville, Texas. The address is 215 West Camp Wisdom Road. Visionaries, if you're anywhere in the southern part of the Metroplex, make sure you get to Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge. We can't stress that to you enough. Um, also, Crystal and Tim, the good folks at Class A Baca, um, we can't speak highly enough about their product. Uh, Marcus has tasted it himself from some certified sommelier. He signs off on it. What was your, what was, real quickly, what was your thoughts the first time tasting Class A vodka? Well, I thought it was uh, very clean. Um, and more importantly, I think the first thing I said was, there's a lot of bad vodka out there, and this isn't one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts. That's facts. Um, but yeah, Crystal and Tim, thank you guys so much for your support. Um, the entire family at Dallas Sleep LLC, visionaries, if you're looking to get anything done, whether it's cigars, whether it's entertainment, whether it's charitable foundations and things like that, get with the folks at Dallas Sleep LLC. The Instagram page is at Dallas Sleep LLC. The web address is DallasSleepLLC.com. Um, we just can't thank you guys enough for your support. We appreciate everything. Absolutely. So let's jump into it. I think you're a mad scientist. 
Thanks. <laughs> no, I think what you do is absolutely amazing. So um, you've got five different spirits now, yes. right? Yes. Um, that you distill here in, in Fort Worth. Um, but let's back up. So you, you, you came out of UT, and then ultimately, you, did you go to, um, you went to law school? At Pepperdine. At Pepperdine. I thought yes. it was Pepperdine. That's okay. Right. And so you, you found your way into uh, working as a, as a lawyer, right? Practicing law. How in the hell did we get here? Uh, I really enjoyed practicing as an attorney. That wasn't uh, wasn't I was like I was some disillusioned attorney that was tired of the hours. Uh, but um, I'd always just had a passion for food and wine. And then at night, while I was practicing, I went to culinary school. And then a natural progression from culinary school was just wine and wine pairing. So then I studied for the uh, sommelier exam, and then part of that exam is uh, distilled spirits. And as I learned about those, then I uh, went to a number of spirit schools across the country. Uh, and then that's when I, I realized that it was really just um, very similar to cooking, uh, the making of distilled spirits. And so I put a business plan together. I uh, built the distillery. I left my firm. And here we are. So everyone has what we call like a light bulb moment or a, or a fork in the road, if you will, right? And you're... And you're Journey like it wasn't necessarily you weren't you didn't find yourself in dire straits so it's like okay this has to work. I'm more curious of when was your moment when you said you know what I actually am going to make the leap like I'm going to do this. Well, I actually think it was more food than anything because that was really the I'm going to pursue something here. And so when I decided to concurrently practice and then go to culinary school was really the beginning right for me. Um, and then that opened all of the rest of the doors at that point. Uh, but growing up, I had, I tra was fortunate to travel a lot and spend some time in California. And then when you go up to like Napa and Yountville and um, where the CIA is, the Culinary Institute of America, and you you taste some of the best restaurants, you taste some of the food from the best restaurants in the world, and you say, this is what food is supposed to taste like, right? And that's where really I think my first passion started. And um, the best meal I ever had, I just say this, is because um, uh, it was uh, at a little place called Domaine Chandon in Napa. And after I, after, I, um, after I made my gin, I wrote to him and I told him the story that the chef that now owns a little restaurant in, Nap in Yachtville called uh, Bistro Gentil, it's Chef Gentil. And I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, this is, you're the reason that I went to culinary school and um, this is my gin and I'd love for you to taste it. And so um, he obviously loved the story so much that he's now trying to get the gin into the uh, restaurant in Napa. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, it's just little things like life is short and the world is small and, um, and really that's my long answer of this was a, a food and wine passion for me. You know, I love what you said. Life is short. Um, the world is small. You, you, you come across as a person that's not afraid to try anything, whether it's law, culinary school, becoming a sommelier, um, and then into the spirits industry. What gave you that, that confidence or that air to, to go after everything that you, know, that you want to achieve? <laughs> I don't know. I've never thought of it like that. I mean, that. there's nothing that you can't, like, you haven't done. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, there are many things I haven't done. But, yes, I understand. I understand your point. No, um, Really, I think I would just say to anyone, it's just find something that gets you excited and that gets you motivated, right? You hear that all the time, that um, work for your passion. And so, again, I didn't dislike the law. The law was great. 
I just like this more. And um, I'm really happy that I did it. I'm very happy to um, have built what we've built here, and I, we're really just getting started as well. Yeah, I would completely agree. So one of the things I always talk about with Cuff, and we have like all these multiple conversations yeah. today, is what I call putting your hands in the dirt. Yeah. So you, okay, you make the decision, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But then there's actual work that goes behind that. Can you kind of describe the process of getting this beautiful place that we're in now? Can you kind of describe the process of putting your hands in the dirt you look and like, having to get it up and running? He looks like we don't have enough time in the day. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not all roses, right? It's not all like, oh, look at this cool um, barrel room and the tasting room. It was hard. It was really difficult with a lot of obstacles. And no matter what you're doing, right, business is problem solving. And just a distillery is much more difficult, I think. One, because of the upfront cost that it, that especially on whiskey, uh, in terms of you've got to put it in a barrel and wait for many years, uh, but also just to build. Um, you can go, we could tomorrow say, let's open up a brewery, um, and we could do a turnkey operation, and we could build the brewery out, and we could have all of the equipment, and it would be fine. There's really no turnkey distillery. You have to piecemeal everything together to create the manufacturing plant, much less um, than make it, bottle it, and then market it. Not to mention all the rules and regulations you got to go through. It's very difficult, and that's a huge barrier to a lot of people, which thankfully has not been that difficult. Um, that's been one of the things that has been easier for me, and I'm sure it's because I was a lawyer first in terms of <laughs> cutting through the red tape and the bureaucracy um, with the TTB who regulates spirits or the TABC in Texas or the city of Fort Worth or Tarrant County or the fire department or the many other wonderful governmental mm -hmm. agencies I deal you with. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of different uh, rules, regulations, and red tape. Um, and yet you had this job as, as practicing law, but you had the passion of, you know, food and, and beverages or, or food, spirits, and, and wine. You know, why make that leap? Why leave, and I don't want to call it necessarily a cush job, right, but why leave that type of environment to take on all the different headaches, building something from scratch? Um, and I know, I, I, I get, you know, hey, we want to go after our passion, right, and we want to live out our passion, but, I mean, it seems like it was something that, that, you definitely went after that um, not a lot of people would. Um, yeah, and, well, and I also thought I had a point of view that might have been different um, than what I see out there. And that's kind of a little bit arrogant to say because there's a lot of alcohol out there, right? Um, but I was interested in it. I had a, pa again, I keep saying passion. I had a passion for it. I wanted to do it. And I thought it would be very rewarding for me to try and take pretty much my entire life at that point, which is a combat, all of it has kind of led me to here, right, in terms of the law and culinary school and wine and distilled spirit school. My whole life for me is a culmination in this place now, in this distillery, right? And this is what I'm putting out there and trying to um, spread to the rest of the United States. <laughs> was, there a, was there a fear or a spirit or trepidation into dumping, uh, I'm, I'm imagining a, a large sum of money into this this dream. Every day. I mean, <laughs> yes, there's a huge, it's a huge fear, right? I mean, no risk, no reward, though, too, right? Um, but it, uh, it's getting a little bit easier as I go along, right? Because the first time it was like, how am I going to pay rent? And then how am I going to pay salaries? And how am I going to buy these barrels, too? 
how am I going to buy 100,000 bottles? And how am I going to keep up with production versus... So um, you always have problems. It's, um, again, problem solving and then just at a much bigger scale. How long have you been open? Well, we, we started distilling in 2018, but we officially opened the tasting room in March of 2019. Man. That is awesome. First of all, congratulations. This is, uh, like I said, I walked in and thought, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Um, So now let's actually talk about day-to-day life for you, the distiller, if you will, right? Yep. Uh, I'm sure it looks a lot different from, you know, open up a a, a case docket, if you will. The stress is different, but the stress is still real, right? The stress is, like when I walk in in, into this room, which is supposed to be my stress reliever, (laughs) Uh, like, is that barrel going to explode? <laughs> like, right there, that's mm. the barrel I like. Um, or, um, you know, it's a lot of management and delegation in terms of we have a lot of employees here, and what are we doing on production? What are we making today? What are we bottling today? What orders have to go out versus what are we doing in marketing? What's coming up there? Um, what events do we have? What liquor stores uh, tastings do we have versus what's going on in the tasting room? And... Uh, are we open tonight? And do we have a big group coming in? And so it's just... It's all my automation working properly. It's all my automation working properly. It's a lot of uh, different hats. And again, I'm going to say it throughout, problem solving. So you problem solve on a daily basis. Um, but I want to get into your spirits. <laughs> sure. All right, let's talk. And maybe we can break this up, you know, as we go, up, we go along through the... Um, to the pod here, but I think for you, it's important that we always start with the vodka. So what are we looking at here? Um, for those that are, are listening, talk to them about, talk to our visionaries about what we can find in your vodka. Um, so I would just say, I think a lot of us drink vodka or have had tasted vodka. Um, and there's a lot of good vodka out there. And ideologically, I think Vodka should be clean, it should be free of impurities, it should be really easy to sip, and I, I said this earlier, I think it should be like a vehicle um, for whatever cocktail you're drinking. Uh, and so that's what we really strive to achieve here. We use 100% red winter wheat. Uh, if you think of some other brands, Grey Goose is wheat, Kettle One is wheat. It's more a little bit more European. Most American vodkas are corn. I like the body of the wheat a little bit on the mouthfeel, but Really, as long as it's a clean, neutral grain, um, I think that's where you start. Of course, there's some really great vodkas that are grape-based. There are some really great vodkas that are potatoes in Eastern Europe and Russia. Uh, so um, grain's important. Distillation's important. Filtration is really important to me. And then the water is very important to me. So problem-solving and we've talked about this beautiful bottle here with the vodka in here. What are some of the problems that anyone that's starting, looking to start their own um, spirit brand that they may have to address as it relates to ingredients, um, you know, the proper water filtration or air filtration or whatever you have to have? Well, the reality is is that the alc- you have to start with a great product, okay? And there's too much competition. And if you were specifically talking about vodka, the vodka market is oversaturated. There's so much vodka out there. Uh, But I would say the counter-argument to that is, as I've said many times, there's a lot of bad vodka out there. There's not enough good vodka. Um, But the reality, too, is that the alcohol business is a marketing game, and it's how you market the product. 
Uh, but eventually you're going to have to go up against and taste test and you have to have a product that someone will, everyone will try something once. That's, they will, everyone will try something once. It's will they come back and try it again and then tell their friends about it and then put it in restaurants and put it in bars. It's the longevity, that's the key. Because sure. a lot of people um, will come into the market and then they're gone, right? Uh, and so you need something that people will um, really get behind. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's not one way to do it. Um, a lot of our success, if you're asking me, well, what's made Blackland successful here? Um, I think one, we make really quality spirits. I think we have great packaging. I think we're priced competitively to get into the market. I think because we're made here locally in DFW, people have really gotten behind it. Um, and so all of that combined, it's not one thing, um, has contributed to our success. So if I'm looking to get off the ground, and I get you got to have a, a good a good product, right? But what do I what do I source my my grains from? How do I know should I be corn versus wheat versus grape versus? How do I know if it's even a good? Source? Yeah, how do I even know if it's a good source? Like I, of your I mean, product? I just go to Google and say, okay, find the nearest you know grain source grain source you know operation for vodka. Like, how do I even know what I'm getting a good? Well, product? for me, it's pretty easy in terms of grain because we use a company called Texmalt, which is right here um, in Fort Worth, and. Um, they have such high-quality grains, and, and they, they're like the middleman. They go out to all the farmers in Texas, and they bring in the grain, and they do the quality check. And I would just say on Texmalt, they supply so much grain to so many breweries and distilleries across the entire state. So it's pretty easy um, when you've got a really great company that's competitively providing that grain and, um, and is doing all the quality control checks. You don't really have to go far. So that's where I would begin and end with all grain, really. I've looked around, and they're... <laughs> They're great, and they're friends of mine, too, and I'm not just saying that. So let's continue down this road here and talk about your favorite, the gin. Yes. Okay. First and foremost, I, I don't think I've ever asked you this. I've, I've met with you several times. Um, we've known each other outside of this. Um, yes. Why is gin your favorite? Well, I, you know, I keep saying that I got into this for whiskey, and I really I don't want to... I like our vodka, and I like our bourbon, and I like our rye. I just, in terms of the complexity of the gin and how easy it is to drink and the balance, um, I, I just think it's the best thing we make. And so um, you could ask me again in a year, and I may, I may say something different. But right now, and it has been since we opened, that's been my favorite. And what should people expect out of... First, out of a out of a quality gin, yeah. And then, what should they expect out of a Blackland gin? Well, you know, I said earlier, like you can get anyone to try something once. Yeah. I think the hardest thing, though, so, especially in <laughs> Texas, is gin, uh, because I think there's so much bad gin out there that a lot of people are automatically turned off. It's like we're back in high school and we drank Zima or something, and mm -hmm. and and we got drunk, and and then we're like, well, we're never going to drink that again. Like, that's everyone's experience with gin now, like, I've, that I talk to. Um, but a really good gin is going to be juniper forward, but that doesn't mean that it has to be juniper overpowering. And so we've really taken our gin, and yes, we've put a lot of botanicals in there for balance, um, but we've really tried to mute them down so that, yes, you can taste them, but that they're very subtle. Um, and uh, I think this gin can be drunk um, on ice, uh, but it's a great cocktail gin, too. What's your favorite way to enjoy your gin? Well, you're going to judge me, but I own the distillery, so I drink it straight, 80 proof, with a little ice, and I think that's a little 
irregular. I, I don't think I would advise that for everyone, but that's how I do it. <laughs> What's the number one cocktail that people use gin for? Well, everyone drink would say go, go to gin and tonic. I mean, I think that's just a very common, like I, a lot of people come in and just, I'd I want to try your gin and tonic because you can really taste the gin that way. It doesn't overpower it, right? But there are so many great gin cocktails. Uh, there's a Collins, um, there's a gin fizz. There's so many very gin martini. Um, that you can do with Jen, and I think actually it is starting to gain popularity over here. You know, I'm a big Jen Gimlet guy. Yes, thank you. I love Jen Gimlets. Love them. Only you, amigo. <laughs> so, Marcus, too. <laughs> so, um, we're talking problem solving as we, as we go through each one of your spirits here. Um, 2020 had nothing but problems, especially when the pandemic hit. You're a young company, you've just left practicing law for 15, almost 20 years. Um, and here comes this pandemic to, to really crush y your dreams after being you know, out for a year or so. Um, how do you navigate those waters? What's your mindset like ultimately is really what I want to know is like, what is your mindset when you realize, oh shit, like they're shutting everything down and I've got a ton of money you know, locked into this? Uh, you know, it was just a... Um week by week, month by month, how are we going to get through this and how do we continue to generate revenue? I mean, that's the bottom line. So for us, it was, uh, okay, we're going to close the bars and restaurants, which is we sell to bars and restaurants, right? Uh, so we've got to expand distribution. So how do we do that? So for us, we immediately started to make hand sanitizer. I think we were one of the first ones to jump on that. And then concurrently, we took that hand sanitizer and we put them in small bottles and we tried to reach out to all the liquor stores we could to say, hey, maybe you haven't carried us before. We're making some good alcohol here. We're local. We're, te we're Texas. And here's some hand sanitizer. And, and keep us in mind down the road. And it really did open up a lot of doors for us. All right. So let's take a quick pause and rewind. I love the yeah. idea that yeah, the hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're a sommelier. That's why he's able to do this. And so then he knows. A pandemic hits. And then as opposed to making liquor. Or spirits, excuse me. Didn't you say, you know what, I'll just make hand sanitizer in the meantime? Well, we had a lot of liquor um, stored up, and we knew that that was going to be a little bit of a shortage in terms of bars and restaurants. And then the FDA issued a guideline saying, or directive, essentially saying that distilleries can make hand sanitizer um, as emergencies because the hand sanitizer just dried up. And because we're a grain to glass distillery, we took the we weren't rely up, relying upon, you know, sourced alcohol. So we took the grain and, and we used the base to make ethanol. And the, F, the FDA really did a good job of saying, okay, here's what it takes to make the approved hand sanitizer. And uh, we put it in some tanks. We added the um, other ingredients, it was glycerin and isopropyl alcohol and some other things. It was much like chemistry class. The most difficult part was just sourcing um, the containers, because everything in manufacturing world, up. yeah, just dried up immediately, yeah. right? Um, so we were looking everywhere um, for plastic containers of all different types. <laughs> and then we had to get the labels. We had to get the labels approved. And then we had to get new boxes. And then the biggest problem there was distribution. We're not set up to hand, hand sanitizer out. But that actually took care of itself because there was such a demand and need for it. We had a line of cars the first day. We, oh, really? 12 blocks. We had the news come out just to see, and we were like, we limited it to two, like toilet paper. You can buy two bottles of hand sanitizer, right? 
Uh, and what was beneficial for us is that um, then people were also nice enough to buy alcohol while they were here. Like, I'll take a bottle of vodka or I'll take a bottle of beer. Yes. Mm. So, yeah, if you're going to quarantine and you're going to hole up in your house and you're going to get your hand sanitizer, well, you're going to get your alcohol too. Need something to drink. That's right. <laughs> so what was it about, did you know before the FDA had made the announcement that you could leverage your distillery into um, – virtually a hand sanitizer distillery? No, not at all. But when they came down and we weren't operational like every day at that time either. I mean, to your point, we had just opened the tasting room in March of 2019. And so we were just getting out there. So we had the stills, we had the manufacturing facility, we had the ability to do it. And it just made a lot of sense to to do it. And it was a really good decision for the business. I bet, yeah. And it it probably kept, kept the doors open for us to be sitting here now. It did, and I would tell you, I was in um, I was in Lakeway a few months ago, and I was approaching a liquor store, and I said, "Hey, um, you don't carry us, but this is our product. Would you like to sample it?" And the guy said, "Did you make hand sanitizer?" And I was like, "Yes." And he pu- he pulled out one of the bottles that he had gotten, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll carry you." And I was like, "Fantastic, thanks." <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So, were they were they in these? Small no. little. No, they were eight ounce plastic bottles, okay. um, much like a shampoo bottle type, because the tops were even more difficult. And I, I will tell you though, we refined the process at the end where we added some of our gin botanicals, and that's why everyone went crazy because the hand sanitizer smelled like our gin. Mm. And by the end, it was it was very popular, and we'd got it down to an aerosol and. Uh, people still ask us for the uh, gin hand sanitizer. <laughs> I hope you kept a couple. Oh, I did. Home just to have that as a as a memory that Absolutely. you know what. And I think it's a great testament to you know no matter what comes at you, especially as a business owner, you're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to change and pivot at times. Um, You've been saying and, you and, and solve problems. problems. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. What is your biggest problem to solve on a day to day basis? Uh, you walk in, like when you wake up every morning, you drive in here, like what is something you know for a fact, I know I'm going to deal with this today, it is what it is. I think as we grow lately, um, inventory management is becoming um, more time consuming for me because you think about this alcohol bottle that we have here, okay, well one, you have to have, make sure you're on top of all the bottles, these are custom, so they don't, they're not made overnight. Labels take time. You can't just buy a hundred thousand of everything, right? Because it's cash flow too. Labels, tops come from a different manufacturer. The closures, the plastic tops, and these are custom with our logo on it. There's a plastic um, heat shrink that goes on top, so that when you ship it out. Oh, by the way, the boxes that you saw up there, like the black with our logo, that's another. Uh, inventory item, the grain that comes in, the enzymes that we use to make everything, um, et cetera, et cetera, the barrels in, the barrels out. So we have about 50 items of inventory of do we have everything to make it? Do we have everything to bottle it? Do we have everything to distribute it out into the world? And the more you make, the more inventory management um, takes over. The man keeps going up. Oh, yes. It's a good problem to have, though. Yes, yes. this, I would say, like, people say, oh, how was the alcohol industry during COVID? It did hurt, again, when bars and restaurants closed, but distribution was at an all-time high. Um, November and December are typically your best months in the distilled spirit world right before the holidays. 
And I would say since April, it's been November, December in terms of distribution levels. Every month? Every month. Wow. Yeah. And then December was well, it makes sense even too. more this year. Yeah, it makes sense. People were either A, they're stuck at home, or B, they're tired of being stuck at home, right? So they're looking for things yeah, to do. Say. So it totally makes sense. All right, so I want to um, you know, pivot off and, and talk about the, the bourbon. Yeah. The, the, uh, and this is the 83, right? So you've got a, um, a whiskey that's, that's 83 proof and then one that's 100 proof. So right now we're going to talk about the 83 proof. Um, while we're doing that, tell, tell us the backstory of, of the bourbon. Uh, so this is, both of our bourbon and our rye are blends, right? So um, again, because when you start out, if you're going to do it right, and all of these barrels are our are, are whiskey that we've started distilling in 2018. And so our stuff will be our straight whiskey that everything we've made from grain to glass will be ready in um, in 2022, we're getting closer. Uh, it's far away, but it's not that far away. It's a lot closer than when we started in 2018. <laughs> we're on the back end of it. Um, so what we do is we blend um, uh, four and a half year old bourbon and rye that we've sourced from Minnesota. And then we blend that with our, our younger stuff in 2018, early 2019. Um, and so because we're blending, the point for me is to just broadly appeal to a wide audience. So this is a pretty easy to sip bourbon. Uh, bourbon tends to be a little sweeter, um, or ours does anyway, uh, just because of the nature of the corn and the wood, and the corn tends to pick up uh, that wood a little bit better than some of the other grains. It's a very neutral grain. Um, and and yeah, it's it's a really easy to drink bourbon. Um, and I've said to you, like, if there's a criticism, it's not an aggressive in your face bourbon, which is why we made the 100 proof. For yeah, I couldn't bourbon. find that on this beautiful bounty. Right oh, it's somewhere around there. Here's your rye right here. Oh, that's, that's the rye. The, the 100 proof um, should have a brown. There yeah. it is. Yep. That's Excuse it. Me. Yeah. So that's how we differentiate it. So you've got one with the gold. Yeah, that's is that a ribbon? Limited, yeah, limited ribbon. edition versus the regular. So you can find the bourbon anywhere in uh, any liquor store, and most liquor stores in Texas, certainly in DFW. Um, this just got released out, the 100 proof. Um, but again, that's for a very specific drinker. Like myself. <laughs> Do you feel like Willy Wonka sometimes? Because your creative is just it's, it's, like out of this world. Yeah, uh, I don't look at it like that. I do like Willy Wonka, though. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, no, I think that you have to realize that, or the way I look at it is taste is subjective and that everyone has a different palate and wants and needs. Like, I just, again, it's really out there to push the limits for us to do a vodka, a gin, a bourbon, and a rye, all four spirits. But you do that because you're trying to diversify and attract different customer bases, specifically, the, or I thought, it, for men and women. Because it's, they're stereotypes for a reason, and there's obviously, um, they're not hard, fast rules. But when you think about distilled spirits, think that men gravitate towards aged brown spirits, whereas women gravitate towards clear spirits. And then there's obviously crossover, because I'm drinking gin, uh, but women in whiskey is a big... Uh, trend right now, especially uh, in our community with the, with the you know the cigar, cigar community. community. Yeah, right. Exactly. I see that more and more, 
And uh, well, then there's other things like tequila's hot right now. RTDs, these ready-to-drinks are hot right now. These seltzers. So, um, yes, I know, I know. But it's just Zima reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> it's a watered-down vodka, is what I vodka soda. Uh, but I, you know, again, I think the more you can make great spirits for different people, then you, you know, it's just revenue, right? It's revenue diversification. So. We're on the theme of problem solving. Um, how challenging is it to solve the problem of finding out what your customers like, right? Um, whether it's, and obviously you've got ingredients and you've got a set formula now, but you know, that process, you know, if we were to go back, okay, I wanna, I wanna have my own uh, uh, whiskey spirit, yeah. right? Like how do I know what my, what my prospects my potential customers would like yeah so two things one what i like in my palate really i've learned is a is a little bit irrelevant to what the world likes right uh, i think that i have a, a really good palate and so in terms of quality i may be able to put my foot down but in terms of just subjective taste and what people like that's not you can't assert yourself in that and so one of the great things for me has been uh the bar uh, the bar is just such a great lab for us in terms of putting something out there and saying, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of this drink? Or what do you think of this spirit? And you can see it just because um, some of the drinks that I just can't stand or some of the things I think would absolutely not work, not from a quality standpoint, but just um, from like what I would drink are the ones that um, have done the best. Uh, I have a drink on my menu, for example, right now. It's called the Dreamsicle Fizz which is bourbon, uh, Dublin vanilla cream soda, and uh, ice cubes made from freshly squeezed orange juice. And uh, it's- wow, that sounds very interesting. It's way too sweet for me. The Dublin vanilla cream is like root beer almost. Um, I, I, I don't like it. I, I don't get the flavor profile. But again, there are people that come in just for that drink. They're younger. And they would, they've walked out when we've run out of the ice cubes. So that will not, that won't come off the menu. So again, taste is subjective and you have to kind of see what there's, I've said this to you, like there's a reason that some of these things that you and I might not drink um, are very popular. Like again, Fireball is the number three selling whiskey in the world. So uh, tap into it and good for Fireball, I suppose. Mm. So does that bring us like my personal favorite cup? <laughs> no, not yet. We're getting there. Six we're getting there. Uh-huh. Okay. No. 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 I'm no, talking no, about. No. He wants to talk. I'm about talking about this. Uh, what are you talking about? I know. We're only six minutes in. I was just trying. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I jumped the gun. I apologize. We're on a very strict alcohol schedule. Here. Right. I'm telling you, man. I'm trying to stay on time. Here. That's right. Proceed, sir. I apologize. No. Um, no. I think it's outstanding. You know what you're saying is that. It, there are different flavor profiles for everybody. It is a challenge to try to figure that out. I mean, if I'm if I'm a new business, right? What are some of the pitfalls that that you may run into while trying to appease every palate that's <laughs> that's out there? Uh, yeah, well, there's a reason, um, Ryan, that like most distilleries, when you think about distilleries in Texas, make one spirit. Right. Tito's, TX, Rebecca Creek, Deep Eddy, Balcones. Etc. 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 There are not. It's it's very. It's actually pretty easy to make different spirits. The hard part is marketing different spirits, uh, and that's really the crazy undertaking that we've gone on because, um, you know, 
you can push and push and push and push, but you're selling now five spirits at the same time. Uh, the best story is I took my daughter into a restaurant um, a month ago, and um, and she said, oh, Dad, look, there's your bourbon and there's your gin. Where's your vodka and where's your rye? Mm. And I said, Nicole, like, getting two spirits on the shelf is really awesome. Most people have one. Like, <laughs> do better, Dad. <laughs> yeah, do better. Step but, it up. Yes, but, but that really is the, the nutshell. I mean, that's the gist there is... You can make four, but getting it out there in the world, it's hard enough to get one, much less two, much less three, much less four, and now five. It's very difficult. So, you know, in the same vein, like <laughs> five different spirits. What the hell, man? <laughs> why, why five? Well, again, like, as a, as, yeah, why not just point? master one and call it a day? Well, again, I just believe that, uh, well, one, I did this because these are the, the, the first four were the ones I like to drink, okay? <laughs> but also... Yeah, this is my distillery, so this is what I wanted to make. But no, but really also it was an eye on men and women. Like that was the the line that I drew, okay, and trying to attract both because maybe your husband loves a, a bourbon and, and that's all he wants to drink, but then I wanted to encompass a brand that men and women um, could both enjoy at the same time, okay? Um, and so that was sort of the goal and, like, the big picture goal. But the other goal is what I keep saying is diversification of revenue in terms of maybe tomorrow, like, bourbon is out. Uh, you know, maybe we saw that movie Sideways where uh, he made fun of Merlot, the main, Paul Giamatti, the main character, and then Merlot sales dropped. I mean, maybe tomorrow bourbon is, like, the worst thing in the world. And so, um, and that can happen. There are trends in, in this crazy world we're living in right now. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And so... Um, Last month, people were, were climbing the Capitol. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, everyone needs to drink a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe those people should drink less. <laughs> maybe those people should drink less. I don't know. Uh, but again, that really is the impetus there and just trying to attract as many different buyers as I can. So we haven't talked about this yet, and, and we're you know deep into the pod, but why the name Blackland? Oh, yeah. So uh, I should have said that. I always forget. So there are seven eco-regions in Texas, and uh, we live in the Blackland Prairie, which is runs a little bit north of Fort Worth down to San Antonio. And so hundreds of years ago, it got its name because there were frequent wildfires that made the soil gray and black. And I like the idea of this charred soil because... You know, in, on the inside of every barrel, all the barrels are charred because that's how you get the color and this flavor and the smokiness. And so I liked the name. I thought it was a geographical connotation. But I also liked that um, it really could be anywhere. It didn't necessarily say, as much as I love Texas, and our bottle says Fort Worth on it, doesn't say Texas. It, you could be enjoying it up in Michigan or uh, Canada or anywhere, and and I just thought it was a really cool, like yeah, Blackland. That's that's a good way. It to keeps you from being pigeonholed. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that. exactly smart move. Yeah. Now it sounds like you did your research on on the name, right? To know that that there are seven different regions. Perhaps you may have already known that. No, I didn't. I grew up here. I I never even heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so much for Texas history, right? right. Um, but. You know, I, I can only imagine the amount of research that you had to do coming from, you know, uh, practicing law for a number of years, becoming a sommelier, and then, and, you know, dealing with uh, starting to get into the spirit world, world. How much research did you have to do in terms of, you know, getting this off the ground? 
I mean, I did a lot in terms of the building the manufacturing facility was the most difficult part, right? But I would also say that I think sometimes in society there's this idea that, and I think it's beneficial, that you have to work in an industry for a long period of time and become an expert before you can do something. And, and I would just wonder, you know, and I always ask the question, like, is that really feasible in terms of every business? Um, like, what was I supposed to do to become some sort of master distiller before opening this distillery? Um, was I supposed to go work at another distillery? Because the principles are the same, and would I have gotten some experience? Yes, but there's also a lot of value in learning as you go, and you just have to be smart about it. And I, 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 that's more of an um, entrepreneurial point of view, but um, I think sometimes you just kind of have to, to say, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to rip off the Band-Aid, and, I ha and you have to be prepared, certainly, but I also don't think that, um, you know, there's, there's also too much preparation in that sense, that we all have to be experts in everything that we want to do, especially when it's our passion. What is it called? Paralysis by analysis? Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's the right term. Yeah. So did you, and obviously you just jumped in. Well, I jumped into a point. Like, I felt like I had the process down pretty well because of culinary school and because of um, going to a number of distilled spirit schools and I understood the process, um, and then I did put a business plan together, and then, uh, and then you have to obviously you're going to have to get some solid people. I rely heavily on some really um, smart, experienced people at this distillery, from my GM in my tasting room, who's an excellent mixologist, to my master distiller here, who's been brewing and distilling for a long time. But you know, I'm overseeing and running the business. Uh, How hard is it to trust people with certain elements of your baby? Uh, it's always hard to trust and delegate, right? Or for me, it's hard to delegate. Some people are better at it than others. Uh, uh, I'm not one of those. That's that's been a that's a weakness of mine. You try to do everything. I try and do everything. Yeah, uh, I want to be really involved. Not that I, I just want to make sure it's done right. And I have great people that um, do it right, and we have nice standards here and it, it all works but uh it's certainly one of my flaws it's, it's not a bad flaw to have it's okay <clears throat> yeah ask, ask that to my wife <laughs> <laughs> so cuff you went ahead and pulled it out yeah I, I pulled out the rye whiskey now um actually one of my my favorites i mean i like all of all of your spirits um but i'm also kind of like you and we'll, we'll talk about that last one that's that's most favorite we'll, we'll wait till the end for that but um, I'm a I'm a big fan of the rye. Um, talk to me or talk to our visionaries about what they can expect with the uh, with the rye whiskey here. Uh, yeah, so again, like the rye tends to be a little spicier. Um, I sometimes like to call it, <laughs> for me personally, because it tends to be a drink for older men. Okay, and so why is that? I think there's some theories that um, we women have a better ta uh, better palate. Um, than men, I think that's scientific, because as, as we age as men, we lose our taste buds a lot faster. And so then we start to try and latch on to things, whether that be bourbon, and then next, because of the spiciness, rye, and then I like to say we just give up and just all start drinking scotch, right? Um, there... <laughs> Yeah. No, and and scotch has to be made in Scotland, so I can't even. Although I will say the trend in whiskey right now is to try and make this single malt 
whiskey, which is like a barley, like the, similar to scotch, and they smoke the grains, and some are filtering it through peat moss, and they're trying to get that scotchy flavor, right? That's a neck, the trend. I'm not doing that, but that's, that's becoming the next trend. Just go open a distillery in Scotland. Yeah, then we could do that. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah add that to my list. <laughs> um, but yeah, but so I think it's a very specific group. Again, that's why I make it, and I think it's a great cocktail um, drink. It, it dilutes well, and it goes well with um, old fashions and Manhattans, and I sell a lot of rye to really nice, like, steakhouses and cocktail bars and places like that. Before we kind of push the ball forward, like, I'm looking at these bottles, I'm looking at these barrels. For somebody who just walks in for the first time, and they have one of those great cocktails you've mentioned, yeah. what happens when they say, because I mean, it's not a liquor store, if you will, yeah. what happens when they say, hey, uh, Marcus, I just want a bottle, then what? Uh, they can buy a bottle here. Of course, they're limited in the distillery to two bottles per person per month. Ooh, yes, it's crazy. I never knew that because my wife and I came here. We actually bought two bottles. And <laughs> I was planning on buying the whole, all of them, right? And he's like, "No, you can't. You, like, you have to come back next month." And I said, "What? Yeah, per was it TABC?" Yes, it's TABC. So the laws are antiquated. They go back to prohibition. So it, the irony is, is that, well, not the irony, the ridiculousness is, is that you can go a mile away or drive to Total Wine and buy a thousand of my bottles. By the case. By the case, yes. But that is the distributor lobby and that is the package store lobby, i.e. liquor store. And so, I mean, the reality is, is that we are very young in the Texas distillery world. The oldest distillery in Texas dates back to 2008. Oh, wow. So it is not as if we're in uh, Kentucky or Tennessee or West Virginia. And they would say the same thing. Well, it's not like we're in Ireland or Scotland where they've been making it for hundreds of years. So the distiller lobby is just not strong enough yet. And they don't have enough good lawyers. But someone will emerge out and bring us through that maybe is both a lawyer and a distiller. Shout his name in. <laughs> I can cut through this. Somebody get that guy on the phone immediately. <laughs> we shall see what happens at the next legislative session. <laughs> so, uh, is, as, a, as a business owner, just to your point, we can only buy two bottles per month, right? Yes. Uh, but I can go down the store to any liquor store and purchase a, a, you know, a case. Would you rather than purchase from you here in the in the in the tasting room, or would you rather than purchase it at the distill at the um, liquor store? So they're both equal to me because I may make some more revenue at the tasting room, but um, at the liquor store they sell and then they'll buy more from me and then they'll sell and really the business is distribution out in the world, right? So I say you can buy it wherever you want and I'm happy by. But going back to the ridiculousness of the laws, um, we live in a society now that um, you can't buy liquor on Sunday because of blue laws, because of the church, uh, or that was the underlying basis for it. But yet you can go to Chili's, and you can have a cocktail, and you can drink. Or you can buy beer. Or you can buy beer. But you, yep, so you can buy a vodka soda, or you can have your vodka martini, or your Jack and Coke at Chili's, but you cannot buy the actual bottle on Sunday. And that is where I'm a little frustrated. And you cannot buy, and even when you can buy a bottle from me, it can only be two bottles per person per month, and we have to give the cut to everyone else. You know, we, uh, 
it's, it's, it's so antiquated. Yes. But you know, as we push this thing forward, you know, we, we have a lot of cigar smokers that that uh, listen to the podcast. Um, what would be a really good uh, pairing for a cigar? Oh well, for me, cigars are pretty assertive, right? Like um, I uh, and. I have to sort of be in the mood to sit down. Um, I like it to be a little bit cooler um, to enjoy a good cigar. But everyone's different. Just like taste is subjective, so is what type of cigar you're um, enjoying, right? I, I'm not a big cigar connoisseur, but I would say that if I was doing that and I was smoking, then I would put some rye on ice, and I may even consider doing a 100-proof rye on ice and really bump it up um, to pair with that because... Um, you're going to need to match the intensity of the cigar with uh, the intensity of the spirit. Love it. Love it. When you first started, <laughs> now I promise I'm not sidelining this cup, just follow me here. When you first started, you had an initial thought process along what we like to call a vision. Does what we are sitting in now match what you ultimately envisioned? And I got a follow-up to that after you answer it. Uh, yes. I'm, this is what I envisioned. And so far, everything has pretty much gone where I wanted it to go. Along with that vision, there was a purpose behind it. You had a purpose when you started. Has that purpose changed or is it still the same? Uh, the purpose is still the same. The purpose was to scale and grow the business and and get into as many bars and restaurants and liquor stores and really grow the brand and be and gain brand recognition for a quality spirit. And um, I think the only thing that's changed is I was unsure about it when I. It's. I mean, we can have grandiose ideas and be like, "Is this really going to work? Can we really do this? Right? Is this feasible? Is this doable?" Uh, and now, um, every day, I think we're getting closer and closer to, yes, this is, this is going to actually happen, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so now can we talk about it, Cuss, and you put it on the table? Well, actually, I believe <laughs> that it's about that time. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. I love it. Go so, ahead. So um, now it's time to, as you like to say, land the plane. So, before we get into your favorite, because I know we're going to do that here in a second, um, I want to give a special shout-out to the folks over at Grand Brulot. Uh This is no competition for Marcus. No. Right? And Blackland, um, as this is a cognac um, out of France, so absolutely no um, conflict, conflict, of it, as, yeah, conflict of interest. So, what we'd like to do is give a quick toast. And as you're pouring it, thank you to the people at Grand Brulot. Francisco, yeah. the owner, uh, the entire staff. All right, thank you. So, you know, the, the French are interesting, too, because they, they have a, such a large part in the global spirits market. And even to an extent, Texas, when you think about Pernod Ricard, just bought uh, Firestone Roberts TX whiskey now. Oh, really? Yeah. So now we have uh, the, the French um, overseeing that distillery as well. So they're they're infiltrating the U.S. Yeah, pretty tough right now. Well, yeah. Europeans know how to make alcohol. That's just really yeah. the bottom line. <laughs> so let's do our Grand Brulot toast as we land the plane. Absolutely. All right. 
Cheers. 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 Mm, strong. All right. Now, I know you're super excited about this. Yeah. So, let's talk about it. Um, Blackland has a Texas pecan brown sugar bourbon. Uh, sugar whiskey, as you like to call it. I do call it sugar whiskey. I call it gold. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, we had talked previously uh, over the holiday season, and I was at a holiday party that you were uh, so kind to, 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 to supply some, some, some spirits. <laughs> and I had it. And I called Cuff the next day and said, hey, I was at this party. I had some of the stuff from Blackland. I had this Texas pecan brown sugar bourbon. And that's not a cup. That, you know, it's not Cuff's wheelhouse. And I told him, I said, hey, yes. you know, at the end of the party, people got, got a little bit too cool. Um, and, and one of the bottles didn't get open because people were, you know, trying to be all snooty or whatnot. And so one of them just happened to walk off and is in my house. So I will say kudos to you, sir, for making an amazing product. This is my favorite of all the five we have tasted. Well, uh, thank you. And I'm certainly happy that you enjoy it and then you like it and i and i would say like you are not in the minority because we have sold an unbelievable amount of texas pecan brown sugar bourbon in the last two months so, what inspired it um well i just think the flavor pairings and combinations are something that are very natural like um there's something called the flavor bible um, and I had this at culinary school. So you can pick an ingredient, and then there will be 30 or 40 ingredients um, that mesh well with that ingredient. And so um, obviously if you think about it, in the culinary world, brown sugar and pecans are in a number of desserts. And by the way, we've put uh, a number of great desserts on our website to use with the pecan brown sugar bourbon if you ever want to cook, from brownies to mm. cookies to pie. So you should go look at that at blacklandfw.com. Uh, but that was just a natural pairing. And, um, you know, I, 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 because bourbon paired with pecan and it paired with brown sugar, I just thought it was a natural, let's see what this tastes like. Um, and then... In our iterations, we just kept going sweeter and sweeter <laughs> and sweeter, and that was the final product. So, when it comes to a product that you don't that you don't normally make, right? Because this is this is you know, and start off as an outlier, if you will, right? An experiment that turned into the real thing. Correct. How many different taste testings do you and your staff go through before everyone says, you know what, let's put that out? Uh, quite a few. I mean, I would just go back to the gin, for instance, that I almost gave up on the gin. Why? Uh, uh, just because it was very difficult to find the proper balance there of a spirit that we liked. I mean, it's easy to taste it now and go, oh, this is, this is good and I like it. But we probably distilled that a hundred different times um, before we came to it. Now, what's interesting about the, uh, <laughs> the Texas pecan brown sugar bourbon that uh, Blackland offers is is Marcus's favorite uh, of all of them. <laughs> you know, it's good to me as a dessert. It's good to me as a specialty item. Um, but what's fascinated, what's fascinating to me is that I see a lot of younger people who will put it in the freezer and then take shots of it. Oh, uh, my that hurts your heart, doesn't it? It doesn't hurt. No, I mean, it's just... <laughs> they bought it. It doesn't that hurt was, Yeah, that's right. It wasn't the intent... But again, sometimes, like, again, I always say the number one thing you have to do is you have to make something good in the bottle. It has to be quality above all else, above the packaging and the marketing and all that. So 
you never know what's going to happen, but it's got to begin and end with the spirit in the bottle. And I'm, I'm happy with anyone and how they use it and how they like to drink it. I support it. Incredible. So one of the things that we ask everyone on the show, um, it is you and as a round table, and there are five other seats. You get to have anybody at your table. The only caveat or stipulation, if you will, is that you can't have whatever higher power you choose to believe in at your table. Fair. And they can be deceased or living. So who do you want your table? So we just made that expanded a little bit more. Yeah, okay. Um, well, with that caveat, um, and uh, having lived in L.A. for a long time and having met, uh, been fortunate enough to met a lot of celebrities, they're all out. So... Um, uh, and I do love sports quite a bit, and I do love um, UT, and I, I would sit at a table with any Longhorn. Uh, but for this purpose, um, it would be all chefs. Those are sort of my um, mentors and models that I look up to, and so my favorite chefs in the world are um, uh, Thomas Keller at the French Laundry, uh, Grant Achatz, uh, at Alinea in Chicago, who also has a James Beard award-winning bar. Um, and then his partner, uh, Nick Kokonis, who's just like a restaurateur. Um, and, uh, and I'd have to think about the other two, but let me just say this, they'd be chefs. Those chefs I love. Um, and I try and live and travel, by the way, around food. Like, that's... That's my goal. Some people like travel for exercise or they go to races or marathons or they like to see like the seven wonders of the world and things like that and interesting places. I go for restaurants. Your yes. favorite restaurant city in the world outside of DFW? Um, like the best food I've ever had is at the French Laundry uh, in Yonville. The best dining experience I've ever had was Alinea in Chicago. It's just four hours, which involved all five senses. Um, and then there are obviously some great New York restaurants, great New York restaurants. All right. So, um, first of all, thank you so much for allowing thank us you. to, to come in here. It's been, uh, it's been a real treat. Um, the, the tasting room, each, you know, of the five different spirits, the bottling, um, you know, the actual, what do you call them? Pot stills. Yeah, uh, it's both a pot and a column. It's a hybrid still. A hybrid, the hybrid stills, the, yeah. the and then the back here, room. like the, like everything is absolutely amazing. Visionaries, if you are listening and still tuning in, uh, I definitely, definitely encourage you guys to come out here to uh, to Blackland and in Fort Worth. Um, real quickly, for all of the the visionaries that are still tuning in, what what are your social media handles? How can they follow you? How can they um, purchase any of your products? What's the website? All that good stuff. So the website is uh, blacklandfw.com. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is Blackland Distillery. Um, and then I would just say out in the world, if you're in DFW, we're uh, in most liquor stores. We're in about 250 liquor stores in DFW. Uh, you can find us at, at both the big box stores and the smaller independents. Uh, you can always buy it here, but uh, at the distillery. Uh, but and you're also all across the state. Yeah, so we're also in uh, Waco, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, Corpus, El Paso, the major cities, uh, and growing every day, right? We're trying to get out as much as we can. Um, 
Unbelievably, I, I think the, probably the easiest beer right now to find in the, in the entire state is the Texas Pecan. Uh, but the other stuff you can find fairly easily, too. You can go to our website, and it shows all the liquor stores in every county that you can buy it. Beautiful. So I've got a couple more questions for you as we land this plane. So to, to any visionary that's out there that's looking to start their own uh, spirit, right, um, how do they get distribution? Ooh, that's the million-dollar question. Yeah, because... Um, uh, it's getting more and more competitive. Um, and so you really have to find a way to stand out so that the distributor thinks it's worth their time um, to sell and um, help market and get it on the shelf, right? Um, and so the reality is, is unless you have quite a big, quite a few big investors that are going to build a big distillery and and get you uh, a really big distributor, like say the, the two big ones in this state are Glazers and Republic, um, then the reality, you're probably gonna have to go a little bit smaller. And there's some great smaller um, distillery, I mean uh, distributors, and, and my suggestion too is to find a base wherever you're located, wherever you're making it, and grow from there. So if you're in Arlington, let's say, you need to, um, Take your brand and you need to win Arlington. You need to build around Arlington. And then you need to grow organically outside of Arlington, which obviously is naturally Fort Worth and Dallas and the surrounding counties, and try and win there. And then slowly win. I think so many brands that I see um, try and go to multi-states and try to go to all of these places, even far, far away inside the state of Texas. And... Uh, I don't think that's the right way to approach it. So um, create a brand, create some buzz behind it, get a lot of folks going into the stores saying, I want to buy this, do you have this? Force the, force the individual stores to carry you, and then the distributors will follow. you got to take care of home first. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Marcus, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you being in. Thank we you. got one final question. Um, in case you didn't know, um, the Vision Lab has a magical time machine. <laughs> okay? okay? So, um, we're going to fast forward, excuse me, we're going to rewind the clock five years ago. What would today's version of Marcus, what advice would he be giving you from five years ago? Um, so, everyone has strengths and weaknesses, right? <laughs> like that's just the nature of humans. Uh, and and you want to focus on the things that you're good at and try and hire people and surround yourself with people in the areas that you're not. Uh, like, if I look back on this, uh, the two things that I kind of regret, and there, there are not many. I'm pretty happy with where I am now. One is, like, and we've talked about this, uh, I used to say I've wasted a lot of money on marketing, but now I say that you have to spend a lot of money to figure out what marketing works for you. Okay, so it's, there is value there. Even if something doesn't work, you can take it off your list and say, okay, that didn't work, let's move on to something else. And it, every brand is different, and not just for the alcohol world. Um, like my, my vodka may be different than another person's vodka, and what works for my brand is different than someone else's brand, right? And then um, even in the small alcohol world. And then the second thing I would say, and, and this is a little bit controversial, is um, that the customer is not always right. I've lived in this mantra um, 
you know, sort of my lifetime that the customer is always right. And I think the customer is right about 95% of the time. Uh, but I've had to ask a few people to leave the bar. Um, and I've had a couple of bad reviews um, because we have some pretty high standards in the tasting room in terms of we don't allow dogs on the patio. We don't allow kids in the tasting room. Um, we're not a place where you're going to – we're not allowed – Somebody walks in here and thinks this is where I need to have my dog. Once a week. Down here. Once well, no, a week. Well, I can understand the dog, but why would you bring your kid in? Unless you're blind, there's no reason for you to have a dog here. Uh, once a week. But one of the one, one of the great – yes, of course service animals are allowed, but – um, you know, I've, I've reached out to some people and I've said, Hey, you know, you know try, what can we do better? And I saw your review or I know we had to ask you to leave because we're just not one of those types of bars either. Right. If it's anywhere close, we we're very discreet about it and we say, Hey, and that'll hurt some people's feelings. Um, but my biggest regret is trying to reach out actually to those people who were, who were wrong in the first place and screwed up because I have also learned that this is a special place. And, uh, and, and you either can come here and enjoy it um, or, or don't. And I don't have time, really, um, to try and be everyone's friend. You've got to be true to yourself. And um, I'm happy with the tasting room. And uh, I kind of would, in, in retrospect, just kind of let that go. <laughs> I love it. And it's not like you're you're strict. It's not like no. you know you got to be. Don't in bring it. your dogs. <laughs> no. Don't bring your toddlers in here. Yeah. I have I have a dog and I have kids, but neither of them are allowed at Blackland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward the clock five years from now. Okay. Um, what is the older version of Marcus uh, Kiprios? What advice is he giving you today? Oh, I'm sure it would be make more whiskey. Uh, you can never make enough. You can never cook and store away enough barrels. Um, but you only have so much space and you only have so much money uh, to buy the grain, buy the enzymes, and fill the barrels and store it away, right? But that was, I'm quite sure that 2026, Marcus would tell me, you got to make more whiskey. You got to figure out how. Love it. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to all visionaries worldwide, thank you again for tuning in to the Vision Lab podcast. We want to say a special thank you to Marcus Kiprios, owner, CEO, founder, Mr. Everything here at Blackland uh, Distillery in Fort Worth. Um, remember, each one of our guests are dropping nuggets of wisdom here on the Trail of Life. Ultimately, visionaries, it's up to you to pick them up. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ryan Mosley. He is Ryan Cuffey. The voice you've been listening to is Marcus Kiprios, the owner, CEO, Wear of all hats here at Blackland Distilling in Fort Worth, Texas. We will see you guys next week on another great episode of the Vision Lab Podcast. Blessings.